Hi, welcome to the Vine Church podcast. Today we're lucky enough to have Pastor Aaron Dowd share with us. Enjoy. Don't you worry about a thing. Absolutely. There was a guy who was very worried about being a moth. In fact, he thought he was a moth. And so he went to the doctors and he was walking along the corridor and he went into the first room and the doctor says, how can I help you, sir? He said, "Um, well, I keep thinking I'm a moth. And the doctor says, well, I think you've come to the wrong department. You need to go to the end of the corridor. I think it's psychiatry you need. He says, well, I was on my way there and I was passing your door and I saw the light on and I had to come in. I think I've got the angle right. Okay, excellent. We're good to, good to go, guys. Recording. Okay, don't you worry about a thing. Nobody, I bet, has ever had this worry. What if I win £10 million in the national lottery and I have to live a dream life on an exotic island? Who worries about good things happening to them? No, worry is thinking about negative, bad things that may may just happen in the future. Nobody worries about good things, but worry, it's the repetitive negative thoughts and images, which I'm sure many of you can relate to, about bad things that could happen in the future. As Christians, we know that only God knows the future, but worry tells you and convinces you that it knows the future, and it's telling you that it's going to be really bad. This is what anxiety expert David Carbonell describes worry like this. Worries come uninvited like party crashers. These party crashers are like fanatics on a mission. They have a message they think is important, a warning. And they're going to present that warning again and again, even though it detracts from the party atmosphere, even though no one wants to hear it because they think they can save you from trouble this way, end quote. Clara, if you could bring my bottle of water up, please. Thank you. Now, nobody enjoys worrying. These thoughts and war- warning, warnings that come, they're unwelcome guests. And those that worry often know that these thoughts, they're overblown. Very often, they're very unlikely. They're based on hypothetical problems that probably won't happen, and yet still, they're very difficult to remove from your mind. These thoughts, they're distracting. They remove your attention from the world around you and move your attention to your internal world of negative thoughts, of possible bad situations that may just happen in the future. It happens in the same way that a driver's attention gets distracted from the road to look at the accident that they are passing by. Now, one thing is absolutely true about worry to everyone who experiences it. People would love to have it less. People would love to worry less. But this is where the problem lies. There is no off switch in your brain to stop worrisome thoughts. And if there was, that person would be making a lot of money. David Carbonell says this. If worries were your neighbor you would move. If worries were your employee, you'd fire him. If worries were a radio station, you'd change the channel or you'd turn it off entirely. End quote. Now, worry predictions aren't based on what's likely to happen. 
They're based on what would be terrible if it did happen. They're not based on probability. They're based on fear. Worry breeds on fear. Now, millions of people struggle with various types of worries, all based on different types of fears. You're not the only one. And yet, those that do struggle with worry and anxiety very often feel that they are the only one. And so, they try to keep it secret and hide it from others. And many have never told anybody that their internal struggle with worry and chronic anxiety. It's seen as a shameful thing. It feels as if they're bad for having these thoughts, as if your thoughts are under your control. Now, anxiety is actually very common. And anxious people struggle to stop their brains from having these repetitive negative thoughts and images of possible bad situations in the future. And many find it difficult to stop their mind from worrying and find their worries very often increase rather than disappear. The harder I try, the worse it gets, many find with worry. This is what how David Carbonell describes it. Worry is more like the intrusive comments of an annoying co-worker who keeps interrupting your work with negative remarks and innuendos that you find disturbing and unhelpful, end quote. Now, worry tells you that it knows the future and it's going to be really bad. But the truth is we know that only God knows the future And actually, worry is a very poor predictor of the future because worry is not based on what is likely. And most of the things that you worry about are actually very unlikely. But worry is based on the bad things that may happen to you. And even though you know the things are very unlikely and you Google to even convince yourself that they're very unlikely, you still say, but what if? What if? What if I'm the one? What if it just happens to me? What if I am the one in the million or 10 million or whatever the unlikely scenario is? Now, for some, worry is occasional and about fairly ordinary problems. And these people don't find worry to be a big problem, but an occasional nuisance that can be dismissed. Now, others struggle with worry a lot and they can't get them out of their mind and they worry a lot about ordinary problems. Others can worry about extreme and unlikely possibilities, which can lead them to become chronically obsessed and overtaken by this worry. So what is the difference between ordinary and chronic worrying? Well, it's not the content of the worry, but it's how the worry is responded to. How you live with worry, how you manage worry will determine the type of worry that you will have, whether it's occasional, ordinary, and mild, or whether it's chronic, very upsetting worry. Now, this means that your relationship with worry will determine whether it is ordinary or more serious, your relationship with with worry, how you handle it, how your internal dialogue in your head works out how you live with it, how you deal with it, how you manage it will determine the type of worry that you have. Now, chronic worry involves spending time with thoughts that predict horrible events and a terrible future. 
Chronic worry comes with physical symptoms and behaviors, and maybe some of you have experienced some of these in your body, such as feeling restless, where you may find it difficult to relax and enjoy a quiet moment or a movie. You might jiggle your leg, shift frequently in your chair, people trying to sit still now, crack your knuckles, sigh repeatedly, check your phone, and so on. It includes irritability, in which otherwise unimportant sounds and interruptions fill you with a startled or angry reaction. It includes muscular tension, backaches, neck aches, headaches, and more. And you're all self-diagnosing right now, I know, because we all do it. It includes fatigue, you're like, oh dear. Uh, feeling tired, without apparent explanation. It includes upset stomach, which reminds me of a lady I was working with, and it was a very busy day, and she, she stood and she went, oh, I need to go through the back. I need a cracker. And um, I looked at her and I went, excuse me, that's just far too much information for my liking. Could you maybe just keep those thoughts to yourself? She goes, what, what? I'm starving. I need to go through the back to eat a cracker. I was like, oh yeah, of course, that's, that's what I was thinking as well. I'm from a five hen and that means slightly different. Rather embarrassing situation. <laughs> Where was I? Chronic worry causes you to focus on unlikely hypothetical future disasters rather than the current situations going on that require a solution. Chronic worries, they cannot be solved because there's not actually a problem that you can solve because they're negative thoughts about unlikely bad things that could happen in the future. And that's not a problem that you can solve, which is one of the most frustrating things about them, because if you could solve it, you would go and solve it, but you can't. So there's nothing you can actually do to help. And David Cabernell says this, if you struggle with chronic worrying, you try to stop worrying, these efforts to stop usually make things worse rather than better. It's like trying to remove a thought from your head. Don't think about pink elephants, and the harder you try, the more difficult it becomes. It's like, he says, it's like stories from Greek mythology in which a hero confronts a hydra, which is a serpent or dragon with many heads. And when the hero cuts off a few heads from the hydra, several heads, more heads, grow in the place of each one. End quote. So many people find it hard to try and stop worrying using all sorts of distraction, avoidance, reassuring, seeking techniques called Google and drugs or alcohol, etc., And the v result very often when the numbness wears off is more worry. And when you struggle against your worries, generally you tend to find that you get more worry rather than less. Now in the first part of my talk a few weeks back, I said that the old English word for worry is the word to strangle or to choke because that's what worry does. It stops you from functioning properly, and it saps you of energy and strength. It stops you from having the life that you want to have. Now, you've maybe never struggled with worry particularly, but I bet you there's people in your life who do, and they keep it a secret and keep it hidden. So even if you don't struggle with worry or anxiety today, remember, it could be one of your children, it could be a friend, it could be a neighbor, it could be a colleague. And so hopefully today we can get a better understanding of this because it is massive, especially today, especially with what's going on in our world. 
Worry, it stops you from having the life that you want to have. As Charlie Brown said, worry doesn't stop the bad stuff from happening. It just stops you enjoying the good. I also said earlier that your relationship with worry will determine whether it's ordinary or more serious and chronic. And how you live with worry, how you deal with it, how you manage it will determine the type of worry that you have. So does the Bible have anything to say about our relationship with worry? How to live with it, deal with it, and manage it? Well, remember a couple of things. Worry is negative bad thoughts about the future. So who is in control of tomorrow and the future has a lot to do with worry. Also, worry predictions are in your head. They're not based on what's likely to happen, but they're based on fear, being nervous, being afraid of the future. So if we're going to deal with worry, we need to keys to dealing with it biblically and according to what the Bible teaches as Christians. Now, you can get lots of advice, tips, techniques, and exercises from psychologists and ways of recommended dealing with worry. And I would actually say they're very good. And I would say they would help. And I would say that if there is a problem that you have, I would definitely recommend them. And I believe that they could actually make a difference. And in fact, they do make a lot of difference. And they do make a lot of sense. And what today I want to look at is biblically, um, how we can do that as Christians. Okay. So, I do respect these professionals and I respect their advice and I do actually think they make a massive difference and I, I really value them and I'm grateful for them and for them working with this group of people that have got horrendous and terrible worries. One man was convinced that he was going to come across something that was infected he would be the only person to know that this thing was infected. He would fail to tell people that it was infected and the world was going to die. So he could see a stack of cups at a party and he could see that the third bottom cup was infected and he believed if he didn't remove that third cup from the bottom, the world was going to die. So he couldn't enjoy the party because it always worried, how on earth am I going to get the third cup out of that? I mean, that is just crazy. And um, this one guy. So that's extreme. But that's how irrational uh, worries and, 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 and our thoughts can be at times. So, dealing with worry um, is to do, last, last time I spoke, I said one of the keys as Christians is relationship. Relationship is one of the keys to dealing with worry and anxiety and depression and mental health. Why? Because your relationship as a child to the Father gives you security and peace about the future. So here's two steps. Number one, his perfect love for me helps me to overcome fear. His perfect love for me helps me to overcome fear. Because worry is to do with predictions about my future based on fear, we need to overcome fear. We need to deal with fear of the unknown. And how can I do that? Well, you do it through relationship. Because what does a child do when they have a nightmare and they're in their bed and they're gripped with fear? They run to their parents and they want the power of cuddles, don't they? And it's incredible how powerful cuddles are because you're so tired, sometimes you can't even talk. You just, I'll come here, darling. 
And you, 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 you pray, so prayer is important. You pray for their head, pray for their mind, pray for them to relax. But it's incredible how some a half an hour or an hour later, you wake up and like, carry them back through to bed. But there's something incredible about intimacy and cuddles. Why? Because reassuring love casts out fear. Reassuring love casts out fear. And to overcome fear of the future, therefore, you need to get close to a loving father who is perfect in love. And what does his perfect love do? 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, verse 15 to 18. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. So if you have faith in Jesus, say sorry for the things you've done wrong. He comes to abide in you. And he's also known as the God of peace. So he comes to live inside you and he in God. So you live in God, he lives in you. 16, we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. So love comes to abide in you. God is love. God by his spirit comes to live in you. His love comes to reside, abide. Whoever abides in love, now abides in love is here's one of the keys, relationship. You have to abide. That's something you do daily. It's a, it's a choice. It's a decision. Um, of course, the spirit never leaves you. But there's this discipline, spiritual discipline of learning to abide in the Father's house. If anyone remains, John 15, remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Okay, so he abides in him, love abides in him, and God abides in him. Verse 17, 1 John 4. By this is love perfected within us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. So we're going to live fear-free. We've got to abide in love, remain in love, because there is no fear in love, and perfect love casts out fear. Verse 18, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. This is what 2 Timothy 1, 7 says. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So I overcome worry by overcoming those thoughts of those future predictions which are based on fear. And to overcome these future predictions based on fear, I need to be securely grounded and abiding in a loving relationship with a perfect loving father because perfect love casts out fear. And also the spirit that he gives us, the Holy Spirit that he gives us is not a spirit of fear, but is one of power and love and self-control. In fact, Romans 15 verse 13 says, I pray that God who gives you hope will keep you happy and full of peace as you believe in him. May you overflow with hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the spirit is not of one of of, of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Romans 15, 13, may you overflow with hope. How do you overflow with hope? You either have hope or you have fear. Fear of the future or hope for the future. How do you do it? You overflow with hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. So it's learning to live in relationship with the Holy Spirit. Learning spiritual disciplines. Old school, old school spiritual disciplines, time with God. Go into your room, pray to your father, close the door, and he who sees what is done in secret will reward you, okay? So it's relationship. Now, um, 
Perfect love casts out fear. Now, worship is absolutely brilliant for this, um, for eradicating fear. And having a lifestyle of worship, not just singing along, we worship in spirit and in truth, okay? So it's not just a sing song, it's a spiritual discipline of worship. And worship is so powerful because it involves our spirit and our words. And it involves declaring the truth. And that's why it's great about worship because you're, you're uh, engaging in a spiritual battle in different dimensions there. You're declaring it with the sword of the spirit because you're speaking out the truth about a situation. And so we need to be worshipers um, to overcome worry. Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. So do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful. So you maybe wake up in the morning and you're filled with anxiety and tension and fear. And that happens often. And very often I, I wake up troubled. Remember as a student waking up and just feeling troubled and anxious. And even like when I was 18, I remember being in a flat in Glasgow, waking up and just a tightness and anxiousness and I learned a daily discipline of just spending time reading my word, just spending time in worship. And in fact, the majority of my prayer time was worship. And I'd never have any time left for prayer. And I used to feel guilty. I'm so sorry, God, I've not been praying because I've just enjoyed and got caught up in worshiping you. And God's like, wait a minute, worship's communication. You've been communicating with me. It's great. It's all right. It's fine. I know what you want before you need it. It's not your babbling I hear. It's your heart. You know, I know what you need. But that would give me the peace for the day. It would. It would, it's practical. It literally would take this tightness and tension and anxiety. Sometimes about nothing, you can't even place what your anxiety, anxiety or tension is about. Um, but you need to, it says, peace I leave with you. You need to get into his presence. You need to receive his peace. You need to get his peace and not let your heart be troubled. That's not by trying to ignore it. It's by coming into relationship. So secondly, I can overcome bad thoughts about my future once I realize my father is in control. Not my father, Jimmy Dowds. Um, <laughs> my heavenly father, okay, is in control of my future. So I can overcome bad thoughts about my future once I realize my father is in control of my future. Matthew 6, 30 to 34. And if God cares so wonderfully... For wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Do you have someone caring for you? Are you convinced? Have you have a deep conviction someone is looking after you? The big, someone to say up with that in the world, hey, you've got someone looking after you. You're right. I do have someone looking after you. Someone's watching out for you. You're right. Someone is watching out for you. You must have someone looking out for you. You're right. I do. You want to know who his name is? What's his name, people? Now, why do you have so little faith? So there's a key in worry. It's faith. It's trust. Faith and trust. 31, don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Now, this is interesting because the context of do not worry, which we're going to get to in verse 34, the context is seeking first the kingdom of God above all else. 
And here's what I want to say. As a Christian, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, it means to seek first the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's the will of God. How did Jesus seek first? Jesus said, my food is doing the will of him who sent me. Disciples will come, Jesus, you must be hungry. Eat some food. I've got food you know nothing about. They're like, where's he keep that secret stash? Has he got muffins in his pockets? Where's he? Where's he keeping it? He's not. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus modeled what it means, the will of the Father. The Garden of Gethsemane is an example. Not my will, but your will be done. That's the kingdom. When you're praying, your kingdom come, your will be done. His will being done in your life is your kingdom come. So when you pray your kingdom come, you're praying that you would know his will. What is his will for your life? How does he want you to live? Because if you're not living according to his will and just doing anything, it's going to be very difficult to be anxiety-free and worry-free because we need to walk according to his will. He doesn't want me to walk in unforgiveness. So he doesn't want me to walk with bitterness and anger. He doesn't want me to walk in this and that and the next thing. So seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously. Live rightly. So the context of being anxiety-free according to Jesus Seeking first the kingdom of God, and that means whether you're young, a child, that means whether you're um, a student, going to school, working, single, married, with children, retired, whatever. It's always, we never stop seeking first the kingdom of God until he comes back, until we go to glory, okay? Um, and he will give you everything you need. But there's a context there. You don't just live however you want, he's going to give you everything you need. No, <laughs> it's when you're seeking first the kingdom of God. 34, so don't worry about tomorrow. So we can't just take that out of context and say, just don't worry about tomorrow. It comes within the context of living according to how he wants us to live. For tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's trouble is enough for today. Okay, now one of the keys here in verse 30 to living worry-free is faith in a good, loving Father that He will care for you and that He controls your future. 30, what does it say? He will certainly care for you. Now, this is what Joseph said in Genesis 50, 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You meant evil against me, God meant it for good. You don't know that God's in control of the future until you're in the future and you're looking back and you said, actually, God was looking after me. God was taking care of me. And Joseph didn't realize that Romans 8, 28 was actually true for him because it wasn't actually written, but the, the principle of it. Until he was in the future and he said, oh, God works all things to the good of those who love him and according, called according to his purpose. And he looks back on his life and says, I needed to go through that. I needed to go through that. And God intended it for good. And that doesn't mean you won't go through pain because Joseph faced the pain of betrayal. He faced the pain of being in a pit with no water. He faced the pain of being accused wrongly and shamed of trying to commit adultery. He faced the shame and, and pain and agony and grief of losing his mother, Rachel, who died when he was in Egypt and he didn't even get to say goodbye to her. And yet he could still bust, look back and say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. They, when, when they say that God takes care of you, he's got everything under control and he will work all things to the good of those. But you won't understand it until you're in the future looking back on it 
And it doesn't mean you won't go through pain or difficulty, but it does mean you will overcome them. It does mean that you'll get through them, and it does mean he's in every situation with you, that even when you're in a prison like Joseph, if he is with you, he can give you success. So the context of not worrying is within the context of seeking first the kingdom of God. Proverbs 20, verse 24, the Lord directs our steps. So why try to understand everything along the way? Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. It's back to trust again. It's back to faith again. And do not lean on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, verse 5 in the message, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Now, Jesus says we're not to worry about tomorrow. But how do you stop worrying about these negative bad things that may happen tomorrow? The key to anxiety, as I've been saying, is relationship. And the key to relationship is communication. And communication is central, and it's the key to all healthy relationships, isn't it? So the key to anxiety, to living with peace, is relationship with God. It's communicating with God all the time, which involves speaking and hearing. And this is what Max Lucado says. No one can pray and worry at the same time. 1 Peter 5 verse 7 says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Now we need to learn to heave and leave your troubles. And that's what those cards are all about. So we need to learn to have a heaving time. And this is a time when you let it rip with worry. You need to let it rip. Preferably through your mouth. Um, Casting or heaving it onto God. Okay, Um, moving on swiftly. Uh, You need to pour out your heart and tell him how you're feeling or they'll eat you up if they're just internal. You need to heave your anxieties onto him. Now, cast means to let it go. Let it go. We need to let it go, okay? And the Greek word means to literally means to drop. You need to let it drop, okay? You need to unload your anxieties onto him. I'm moving on swiftly. You need to take all that you're worried about, all that you're stressed about, all that you're upset and irritated about, and you need to unload it onto him. But the problem is most of us do our casting like we do in fishing. We cast our worries out. What do we do? (laughs) We reel them back in. But we need to unload them and we need to leave them and learn to leave them with God. We need to heave and leave. Heave and leave your troubles. Now, when something's on your mind that's filling with you anxiety, here's one thing you can do with your card. You can write it on a card. You can hold it up to your Father in heaven for him to read. And you can say something like, Father, I'm heaving this care onto you for you to handle. And then you can write across, heaved. I've left it in his hands. Now, those cards are already stamped with heaved, okay? It's a visual picture of something you're doing spiritually. And whenever an anxious thought sneaks back into your mind, you can take out your card and say, no, this problem I've given to Jesus, it belongs to Jesus I've heaved it on his shoulders. I'll leave it with him. He's in control and he's taking care of it for me. So keep those cards. They're for you. Use them if you find them helpful. Encourages us to to allow the Father to take care of your worries. Now, the amazing thing about being a Christian 
is that we always have someone to talk to. And I'm going to bring this to a close, okay? You've always got someone to talk to. And actually, what leading psychologists tell you about worry is Dr. Rick Norris. He says, this revolutionary technique for dealing with worry. Are you ready for it? Talk to someone, okay? You don't want to go through this alone. Tell someone how you feel. Ideally, choose someone you trust, someone you know who isn't going to fob you off with annoying phrases like, well, just snap out of it, or don't worry about it. <laughs> if I could not worry about it, I would. <laughs> I don't need you to tell me not to worry about it. I tell myself all the time not to worry about it, and I'm bothered trying, but I can't. That's why I'm telling you. Okay, so talk to someone, and that is good, and that is helpful, of course. Most keep, people keep a secret all their life. But before speaking to a person, speak first to God and tell your father how you're feeling. Learn to pour out your heart. Be open and honest with your father. And the good thing is God doesn't fob you off with just snap out of it or don't worry. But the Bible tells us that we first must talk to God about our worry, our anxiety, and cast it and leave it onto him. And very often that is enough. But if it is very big and ongoing and you're, you're, not, uh, you're not getting there, one thing would be very good to do is to speak to a friend and pray, ask him to pray it through with you. But uh, do choose an appropriate time. Uh, <laughs> there is an appropriate time for doing that. So we should first and foremost acknowledge and accept the fact that I'm troubled by worry. Acknowledge and accept the fact that you're troubled with worry. Don't deny it. Don't ignore it. Don't feel guilty. Don't feel bad. Don't put shame on yourself for having these thoughts. Most of your thoughts are not under your control. What's under your control is how you manage them and deal with them, okay? So don't be shamed. Um, this is what David Carbonell teaches in his three aha steps for handling chronic worry. Here's your proverbial aha moment in dealing with worry. This is an acronym when used can help you remember a couple of steps to take when you're being bothered by worrisome thoughts. A, acknowledge and accept. Well, what's to acknowledge? That you're having a worrisome thought once again and it offers nothing of value, yet here it is again, serving no useful purpose, bothering you like spam email that shows up in your inbox every single hour. No need to try ignore it or pretend it's not here. There's nothing wrong with ignoring it, really, but if the effort you make to ignore the thoughts keep bringing it back to your attention, then trying to ignore the thought isn't helping. Here you are having another one of the many, many thoughts that you will have today, and this one happens to be a loser. Whom do you acknowledge it to? Usually just to yourself, end quote. That was David Carbonell. If you don't have God in your life, you only, you, you only have yourself to acknowledge it to at first. But as Christians, we can go one better because the Bible tells us to acknowledge it and accept it and acknowledge it to God, which is far more better. Cast all your anxieties onto him. So we're acknowledging them. We're acknowledging we've got them. We're speaking them out. We're getting it out of the system. We're telling God. We're describing these uh, ridiculous thoughts that we're having. We're acknowledging them. We're accepting them. We're giving them to God, which is far more uh, powerful than ignoring them, distract, uh, trying to distract yourself, pretending, or arguing with them. When you argue with them, they're like the argumentative uncle at a wedding. They'll never, you'll never win. So he actually teaches you should humor them. Um, which is a very interesting thought. I quite like that. I thought my dad would like that one. Now, I had an example, and um, but I'm going to go do something slightly different. I'm going to invite my wife, Lindsay, up to come and sit on the seat here. Welcome my wife, Lindsay, please, will you? 
So, we'll draw this to a close, but uh, Lindsay, please have a seat. I asked Lindsay this morning if I could ask her a few questions about worry, because um, worry is to do with, um, I, I, I did share last week at the baptisms, and most of you know that our first child, we went for the 12-week scan, um, and they told us that uh, there's something wrong with the baby. As the weeks progressed, they told us, your child is not going to be healthy, and eventually they told us, your child, uh, um, if it is born, it's going to have tremendous health problems, it probably won't survive, we recommend an abortion. And for 36 weeks, we were praying and asking God to do a miracle to heal our child, and then our, 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 our child was born after uh, 36 weeks, lived for 59 minutes, died in her arms, and went home to heaven. And I was wanting to ask Lindsay um, how she handled worry because in that period from finding out at week 12 in the scan up until the time of the child was born, and then even after uh, when we were, uh, Lindsay was pregnant again, how did you handle w worry, Lindsay? Because worry, was worry something that you had to battle? Thanks, Jonathan. Well done. You've already inspired us all, I'm sure, this uh, with your great wisdom. Um, yeah, for for me, I think when we found out initially, uh, I was in that place of they scanned and initially, and they, you know, they saw the girl obviously could see there's something worry, maybe not right. And she was, she says, out we go, sit in the waiting room for a wee while. Your baby looks like it needs to empty its bladder, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, sure so went out and of course they bring her back in and then she said mm, no I just need to call a consultant here I'm still sitting there thinking it's fine on you go and uh, she phoned the consultant the consultant says okay let me scan this uh, lady bring her here in two days now we were meant to be going on holiday that afternoon and the scan was kind of like yay green light we can go now and uh, they said to us um we're a wee bit concerned about your baby, but, you know, I've made an arrangement to see a consultant in two days. And I kind of looked at them and said, sorry, I got on holiday. <laughs> Still kind of oblivious to the fact that, you know, maybe something's a problem here. And Aaron says, darling, we can go. I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry, we can, we can go to the scan, it's fine. But I still had that kind of faith that, you know, everything's fine. And, you know, trust in God. And then we went f for scan. I think we had about five or six scans beyond that and numerous procedures where they tried everything medically possible to try and save Caleb from injecting needles in, drawing what fluid out to try and help him. And it got to a scanning point where they said, right, this is the last hope that we can medically intervene here when I was carrying him. Um, and hopefully the levels will be okay and things will go well. And it got to that point, and they said, I'm sorry, it's got to that point, and the levels aren't great. And I remember be feeling crushed, thinking, why, God? I don't understand. But I don't, when I think about it, I, I trust God, and I think to myself, God is the God of miracles, and I definitely believed that in my heart. I'd seen miracles I believed God, you know, was all-powerful. Um, did I need a miracle to believe that God was able? If someone had asked me that, I'd probably thought, I, I'd maybe not wanted to say I needed a miracle to believe because I felt like that would be lacking in faith, but I didn't need a miracle to believe. 
that God was able. Um, I knew God was able, and I still believe God is God is able. Um, so it was challenging because it does throw everything in your heart to when somebody says, well, this isn't working out. And you're like, well, I'm praying for it, and I still believe God can work it out. And right up until the point that Caleb was born, and they rushed him away from me uh, when he was born to try and... So Yeah, in, in that period up until he was born, is worry something that you experienced? Is, would you say you that was a worrying time, and how did you deal with that? Yeah, um, so worry, again, it's a very unique thing because how I worry is completely different from how Aaron worries or having four girls as well at home, they each process things differently. So it's not wrong how we process our worry. Um, But I did maybe worry, but I still believed. So my way of trusting God was, no, I believe you're my miracle maker. Um. And even though the doctors are telling me it's not good, I'm confessing that it's going to be okay. I'm going to praise you through this. And regardless of the circumstances, right up until the point he was born um, and they took him away and they couldn't. um, They tried to resuscitate him and they couldn't. His lungs weren't developed. And they brought him back to us. They put him in my arms and said, I'm sorry, there's nothing further we can do. And I remember thinking, oh, God, because I couldn't face... Because Aaron, once we had a conversation while I was carrying him still, saying, what if it doesn't work out? What if God doesn't heal him? I remember feeling like, I can't handle that until the point it comes to that crunch. I don't want to talk about that. I want to face with faith. Sometimes there's nothing wrong with that. If you're believing for a miracle, just standing in faith and not necessarily looking at all outcomes. Um, Maybe Aaron was more... No, no, that's absolutely excellent. Um, last question would be, so we went, we had more children. Uh, we've got five children now. Um, and uh, Dr. Tideman, when we went back for the first scan, was like, wow, you must be really worried and anxious. Let's get this done quickly. Was, when you went to have more children, was it a worry that this might happen again? And how did you deal with worry? How did you, what kind of things did you do to help you cope with that? Um, yeah, okay. Uh, no, I wasn't worried, actually. I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't worried at all, eh? <laughs> um, I guess it's just, uh, again, difference of people. And, and I remember them being like, oh, you must be so worried. And thinking, oh, actually, it never crossed my mind to be worried. Okay, I'll have a look at the scan. Yeah, it's all fine. See? It was all good. I'm glad I never worried. But also, I think it's good. Sometimes it says surround yourself by people of faith. And I think being around people who were encouraging, loads of people that were around us at that time were hugely, a huge blessing and huge support, even when we walked through that grief journey, whether it was even cards. You know, I specifically remember Rab and Rose, you sent us a beautiful card that gave us that focus of heaven. And, you know, your your Caleb has entered into heaven saying, my faithful servant, and you come. And that was a beautiful healing. And then being around Jimmy and Alma and just encouraging us, um, you know, it's okay to, to not be okay through that journey, but also, you know, God's still in control. And being around people that are, you know, building you up, and rather than 
saying, oh dear, that's terrible, you know, that's awful. And it's, uh, there's nothing wrong with being ar- to grieving and crying, that's okay as well, but to constantly being like, oh, you poor souls, so down. But just being okay to cry, but, you know, to g- getting around people that will lift you as well as be with you in that broken time. So no, I didn't uh, worry at that point at all. Not saying that I was never worried. Maybe like throughout the pregnancies, if something happened, maybe be a wee bit. Oh God, are you going to give me this miracle? And that's okay too. But not at the time. I didn't worry. Wonderful. Put stay here, Lindsay. Put your hands together. Thank Lindsay. Um, uh, if we could just have that uh, worship song on, please. Um, Lindsay did say one thing there. She said we were still believing that God was in control. And um, I think that was absolutely key for us, that God is in control. God is in control absolutely of, of every situation and any situation. What I want to give you time just now is take out your cards and we've got this song playing. And um, I want you to have, if we could just have this song nice and quiet, please. Um, I want you to take a time of prayer just now. It's between you and God. Okay, just to do this exactly what I'm saying, okay? So, cast your anxiety on him. Acknowledge and accept the anxieties, the worries, the fears that you have for the future. Uh, Confess to God, admit to God. You know, don't be ashamed if you have a worry just now or a fear. Think about what is something that that you worry about. Take out your cards and and write them down. Okay? Just have a wee time between you and God just now. Write your anxiety down. And then when you're ready and you feel that you've given that to God, I want you to come to the cross here. Um, And this is going to be a a physical thing that I'm going to ask you to do. There is a hammer and there is nails. And um, if you've never hammered before, um, ask someone for help. Uh, If I've not done a risk, I said, please don't put the nail through your finger, okay? (laughs) But take your card and nail it somewhere on this cross, okay? And this is gonna be a physical uh, picture that your anxiety, that your care, you're given to Jesus. He, he shed his blood, he died on a cross in order that we could uh, be brought into that loving relationship, in order that perfect love, which casts out fear, could come into your life. So take just some time just now. I want you just to take a few minutes just to pray. Give your anxiety to him. Hand it over to him. Trust him with the future. Trust he's in control. Let his perfect love come now. And take your card and just nail it. Don't put it right in because it's easier to get the nails out if they're not right in, okay? So just a few wee taps is fine. Um, Robert's going to have struggle if you hammer them right in. (laughs) So just a few wee taps is great. Hammer them onto the cross. Lord Jesus, just come in this place, we pray. Just move in this place with your love. In Jesus' name. Just take some, there's no rush, let's not rush this moment, okay? Just take your time. Pray. Jesus is here. Invite him into your situation. Give it to him. Write it on your card. When you're putting it on that cross, believe that he's in control of that situation. He's your good shepherd. He's your loving father. Allow his perfect love 
loved you now. Philippians 4 verses 6 to 7 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. So tell God what you need and begin to thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything. anything we can understand his peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus If you're tall, if you go for the, the cross beam <laughs> along the so that it is for the people who have got plenty. There's another song, I think it's, is it In His Presence or something like that? So just, just play that one, please. Just as we're waiting and queuing up, and I'm going to ask Lindsay to come up and pray for everybody. just want to read this story by Vicky, Mrs. Vicky Craft. Um, she um, served as a minister to women uh, for over 13 years. She went to heaven in September 2015, and this is what she says. Uh, Lindsay, if you just come up and join me, please. We're going to pray, okay? For as long as I can remember, I have disliked motorcycles. If you could just put that music down a wee bit, please. Um, 
So as you can well imagine, I was not at all pleased to learn that my adult son, Robert, had purchased a motorcycle as his only means of transportation. And visions of ghastly accidents haunted me. Robert lived 200 miles away and I was quite certain if he had a terrible crash, our phone number would not, uh, number would not be with his identification. So not only would he be brutally wounded, but it would be days, even weeks before we found out about it. My anxiety was unending, and every time I saw a motorcycle on the road, I'd think of Robert, and fear and anxiety chilled me, and a sick feeling crept into my body. Of course, I knew I could not continue to survive in such a state of constant agitation. Somehow I had to choose to apply my Christian faith to this continuous worry. My way of doing this was through prayer. I decided that when I saw a motorcycle and worry try to grip me, I would simply pray. I rejected mental images of twisted metal and broken limbs and instead prayed for Robert's safety and health, as well as the person on the motorcycle I was seeing. And before long, my worry was replaced with the peace that comes only with prayer. It became quite a habit, and in fact, to this day, whenever I see a motorcycle, I still automatically pray for my son. It's a great example of applying a Christian faith praying every time that image that mental image comes every time whatever it is it causes it triggers it Lindsay would you just pray for us and George and the band just come up and we'll, we'll sing what was the second song this song Lindsay Miracle. miracles George if you come come back up and we're going to end the miracles Lindsay just just pray for us please thank you Father God we love you Father God, you are in control, Lord. You are in control when we're enjoying everything about life, Lord. And you're in control, Lord God, when we're broken and shattered on the ground, Lord. Father, you love us, Lord. You are here for us, Lord God. And you're for us, God. And Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you are the lifter of our burdens, God. Father God, we just pray, Lord, for everybody here this morning, God, for whatever worry they have laid at your feet, Lord Jesus, that Holy Spirit, you are our teacher, you are our counselor, that you would teach them how to, to walk through this worry, God, by leaving it at your feet, Lord Jesus, but how to face it when it comes up again, God, in Jesus' name, Lord. You're amazing, Lord, and you love us, Lord Jesus, whether we are in with every imperfection we have, Lord, yet you love us, God. Now just pray for that, Lord Jesus. We pray for everyone, Lord, that is um, wearing a mask, Lord Jesus. Father, we know that too well, Lord, a veiled smile, God, that you see behind a veiled smile, God. When people pretend, Lord Jesus, that we've got it all together, God, but you are there, Lord. You know our hearts, Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for every broken heart, Lord, and every broken thought, Lord Jesus, that leaves a remnant or a, a, a bad taste, Lord God, around people's days, Lord. And Father, I pray, Lord Jesus, that your healing power, your miracle-working power, Lord Jesus, will, will just mend, Lord God. Just mend us, Lord. Mend us more in your healing power, God. Work us towards eternity. Father, you are our hope, Lord God. That whatever we face, Lord Jesus, we choose to build our life on you, Father. You are our rock, Lord. 
You are our rock in a storm. You are our foundation that will not be shaken, God. And whatever we face, Lord God, let it be our goal, Lord Jesus, to build our life, Lord God, on you. Whether we face tragedy, whether we face um, whatever we face, Lord God, any brokenness of any sort, Lord God, let us know that you are our hope, Lord Jesus, that you are our sure foundation, Lord God, in Jesus' name, Lord. Father, you walk with us through every season of our life, God, that we need not fear, Lord Jesus, that when we can't handle it, God, that we give it to you, just as Aaron said, we heave it on you, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord. And I pray, Lord Jesus, for the lightness that only comes in your presence, Lord Jesus, to flood every heart, Lord God, with hope, Lord Jesus, that you're with them, Lord God, that your arms are, are strong enough, Lord. In Jesus' name, Lord. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, God. 